be afraid of it, Julia. <laughs> <laughs> Yell at it, girl. I used to do sound checks with my dad, actually. Oh, really? So a long time ago. So That's I used awesome. to have to be the check one, check two. Yeah? Yeah. Was your dad into music? Oh, yeah. Yep. Very cool. So. Very cool. That was many, I think I was like eight years old, so a long, long time ago. Yeah, wow. That's fantastic. So. Man, so, yeah, so let's just jump in. So today we're going to be talking to Julius May, and uh, some of you guys around the Valley will definitely know her. She's all over Facebook. She's been telling her story left and right, which is a very interesting story. One of the reasons that I was prompted to reach out to her uh, and ask her to talk to me today, and I think you guys are going to find a lot of value in her journey and some of the wisdom that she imparts. And uh, so with that, I'm just going to go ahead and say welcome. Thank you. Welcome to my remodeling project. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> cool deal, man. So glad you could come up. Glad you made it out. It's really good to see you in person finally after all this time. I think the last time I saw you uh, was with Leanda. Yeah. It's been it's a year. It's been a year. Yeah. 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 So what's been going on in the last year? <laughs> just doing a few things. Uh, not very much. I'm just coming off of a a win of America's Strongest Woman, so Master's Division, so I'm the strongest old lady in the world currently. The strongest old lady <laughs> in the world? Did, did they give? Does that say that on the trophy? Um, no, but I think I'm about to add it on there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty significant trophy. They actually uh, had to give me the full uh, swab down in TSA, so I, I didn't know if they thought it was a a uh, instrument of destruction trying to take it on the plane, but... It's not one of those sword-shaped ones, is it? No, no swords, no hatchets, no nothing. It's a, it's a big guy with the world on his shoulders. So they didn't even give you an old woman with the no, world on her shoulders. No, What's we already carry the world on our shoulders. We need a man <laughs> to do it for us now. <laughs> We're taking a break. Oh, come on now! You got to get PC with it. <laughs> Make sure there's a woman representing a woman. I re- I represented myself, so that's fantastic. <laughs> So cool. So tell me a little bit about your uh, experience at the event. Obviously, um, we, we spoke a little bit separately and you told me a little bit about the significance of it, but talk a little bit about your journey, uh, getting there and what it means. Yeah. You know, I, uh, um, I, I guess I can go way back. Um, I don't know how far back rewind, you want to go in this journey. Go ahead and rewind. So, uh, digital I, tape, right? <laughs> I, you can, you can just, uh, parse this out as needed. Um, I think my journey started, um, um, into fitness, if you will, or into physical activity. Um, my father passed away and, uh, I kind of had this epiphany of, you know, he's dying at a very young age. He was, wasn't even 60 years old. And I thought to myself, I don't want to end up like that. I don't want to be that person, you know, sitting on the couch, looking at my life and, you know, unhappy with where I was and what I wasn't doing. And, um, I decided to go to a, uh, kickboxing gym and did that for a few months. Um, pretty humiliating and inspiring. And I think I went home for about the first two months crying on my way home because mm-hmm. I couldn't do a push up or a lunge or, you know, I couldn't go for five minutes without just being completely exhausted. So, um, we had a uh, CrossFit gym that opened that, that became a shared space. And so I peeked over and saw what they were doing and they're lifting heavy things. And I thought, I'm pretty strong. I can do that. So, um, jumped over there, uh, jumped on that bandwagon. Um, but it was never really, um, I loved it. 
Um, but CrossFit was never really like my passion. It wasn't my thing. Uh, but I continued with it because it made me feel good. It made my body feel good. I enjoyed the community of people there. Um, and, but this was in California. Um, about five years ago, I moved um, to Arizona and continued on with CrossFit. Um, but four years ago, I did one of your comps, actually. It was four years ago? I remember that, yeah. Was it four years ago? Or three Iron years Fitness ago? Games, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Me and Porter. You and Scott Porter. Yep. And I thought, you know what? I'm I'm going to just go out here and show all these people just how absolutely strong and amazing I am. Um, I was terrified. And um, I think I came last in that comp. Which comp was that? That was the... I thought peak, you did multiple. No, the Peak Power Melee okay. was the first one. So that was That the, was down in the city. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, by... Uh, by the restaurant down there off Camelback, yeah. Uh, Tilt the Kill? Yeah. I think it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I did that, and I loved all the strength portions of it, and I hated climbing the walls and running. <laughs> so um, funny thing that you mentioned Leanda. I met Leanda there, and uh, she was the one who told me about Strongman. She said, hey, did you know you don't have to do uh, this stuff, and you can just do the strength stuff? And I, I had no idea. I remember watching... Uh, strong man as a kid and Bill Kazmaier and uh, all the other guys mm-hmm. and thinking that was amazing and uh, decided to look up a comp and uh, Keegan Dillon um, helped me with some programming and started training for my first comp and so three years later four years later um, made it to worlds so it was it was uh, it's been a, 2018 has been a pretty trying year uh and I uh, had stopped training for almost eight or nine months of the year where I was taking care of um, a teenager and a very troubled teenager who uh, had to go in a different direction than myself. And uh, after that took place, I realized um, I can't just sit here. This this strength thing and this strong man thing is my passion, and I just feel this this rumbling in my belly, this fire in my soul that I need to do this and I need to just get back on the wagon and stop having this pity party for myself. And so I uh, called up my coach and said, hey, let's go. <laughs> so got the programming, wasn't happy for the first couple of weeks, and then I just made some decisions. Let's do a competition. Let's do uh, Phoenix Europa. Did that, um, was qualified for Masters Nationals, went there, won, that qualified me, um, or because of that, um, I felt ready enough to take my foray into Worlds. Um, We had an online qualifier, and I was able to qualify for both the Open and then for Masters, and I got the invite uh, to compete as a Master, so it was, uh, it's, this year's been a long journey, and it was started out as a pretty shitty year, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. And uh, so far, um, just a changing of your mind and your mindset and where you know you need to go instead of wallowing where you're at has completely changed the outcome. So, so you said it started off as a shitty year. Why is that? I think that, um, I think that because I took on... Uh, such a role in this teenager's life in realizing uh, I started to lose myself in all of that and just everything I everything I did was giving to her and to helping her and helping her heal and some of the um, 
trauma that she's experienced in her life. But I forgot that, hey, you've got to take care of yourself. And I tell everybody else all the time, you can't serve from an empty vessel. But yet I wasn't adhering to my own advice that I freely bestow on everyone. You know, take time for yourself. You know, take care of yourself. Eat right. Go to the gym, you know. Um, and I had stepped away from that. So it's, it's, it's amazing how quickly you can step back and you can forget those things that are so, um, that are so true and innate in, in you. And one day you wake up and you're like, crap, man, what am I doing? I'm just, you know, here I am stuck. This is not a journey. I'm just sitting here on the side of the road. So is that something you've experienced before? Uh, this idea that, uh, you kind of know what, would help other people. But then when it comes to helping yourself, sometimes it's like backseat. Yeah. I think that's something I struggle with a lot. I think I'm very much a giver. And I think, um, the reason it's taken me so long in my life to take care of myself is because I've always wanted to give. I'm the oldest of eight kids. And so I kind of grew up in that mothering and contributing and taking care of role. And so it becomes very natural to me. So it's, it's hard not to fall into that and realize that I am something outside of that. So, so yeah. take me down that rabbit hole for just a second. Uh, I had no idea you had seven brothers and sisters. <laughs> that wow. is a rabbit hole. Yeah, that's, that's a very a large. That's a very large uh, rabbit den there. Yeah. So what was that dynamic like growing up with that many, I guess, competing mouths in the household? <laughs> uh, yes, we were definitely competing. Um, you know, that's. Uh, that's a very, uh, that's, that's a part of my life that for a long time, that's like Pandora's box. I didn't want to open it for a long time. Uh, cause it was scary. Um, it was, I grew up in a very, um, very strict evangelical home. So, um, everything was black and white. There was no life in the gray. It was, um, it was, this is the way that you did it. This is how you adhere to what the Bible says. And there is no deviation from that mm -hmm. and no deviation that included, you know, personality types. This is, this is who you need to conform to. Um, so that dynamic with seven kids and seven or eight kids and eight personalities was, um, pretty rough to say the least. So, um, the abusive things happening in my family situation. Um, but I think I, I think about nature and nurture a lot. And I think I was just naturally born just a fighter. And so my whole life was, you know, taking care of these kids, taking care of myself. Um, I started working when I was 15 just so that I could help the family, help myself just to get out of, how could, how could I get out of Dodge, you know, kind of formulating my plan. And, um, but you're right. It was, uh, where's the next meal going to come from? Is the electricity going to be shut off? Is, are we going to have water or are we going to go camping while, while, you know, our utilities are out because my parents couldn't afford to pay it. So, um, you know, I think about these things and all the, uh, adversity I faced through that time. And I think the journey that I'm on now in competing in strongman and coaching in strongman, I think that understanding that there is an end to this, there is an end to this struggle that you can make it through and, and, just kind of reflecting back on my past and my childhood. I think, you know, I look at that and then I look at where I'm at now. And I think that there's direct correlation in being a strong person and having a strong mind and developing that strong mind through trials, you know, 
through being bullied, through being abused, that that's given me um, the strength that I have now. Hmm. But it took a long time to get there. Yeah, so so talk to me about that a little bit. So how do you leverage your childhood in such a way that you can sort of use it for good in the now, right? Like, I think that's kind of what I took from you, just what you were yeah. just talking about, you know? So what aspects of your childhood do you look back and say, well, you know, I'm, I might be having a bad experience or I might be suffering or struggling in the now, but I can look back and I can, I can leverage this experience. I've, I've, you know, what does that look like for you? You know, I think, um, for example, I came home two weeks after I turned 17 and I found all my things on the porch. Here you go. You're out. And I remember in that moment thinking, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? I had nothing. I had a car. I had a box of clothes and I had some cash in a bank account because I had been working and, um, I was in a hole. I had no, I mean, that's fear. That's, you know, you're in this situation of, I I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know who to turn to. I am now officially homeless. So when I think about, um, when I'm jumping into something or I have a goal or something that is fearful, I always think to myself, dude, you got through it back then and you didn't have half the wisdom and half the life experience that you do now. And you're able to get through it. You're able to claw your way, work your way. And I think that I, you know, look back on that now and I think those fears were nothing. You know, the fears that I'm telling myself now are, it's like made up stuff, you know? Well, you're not going to accomplish this because... I don't know, you're not smart enough or nobody's going to accept what you're going to say. It's just, it's just this crap that, you know, just floating around in your head and you grab onto it and just lies you tell yourself. Yeah, for sure. I can't imagine what that must have been like as a teenager coming home and finding what little possessions you had, like locked out. <laughs> Here it is. Yeah. <laughs> Here's I mean, your gift. What do you Merry do? Merry Christmas. What do you do? I mean, what even prompted that to even happen? Um, I... You know, I had been, I, I'm, it's, it's funny. I've, I've asked my mom this now, my mom and I have reconciled, um, after all these years. Um, but in the, in the time, I believe that it was because I was dating a guy who was not of my faith or my family's faith. And the fact that I was being a rebellious teenager, um, but really that was me just sprouting my wings and trying to find out who I was. And, um, I think that my mom, um, my mom has an alcoholic background. Um, her family has an alcoholic background. And I think that I didn't realize in the moment that her trying to control me in every aspect of what I do was her trying to show me love. And the only way that she knew how was to control the situation because she come up, she came from a family situation where she didn't have any control in that. And so in trying to control me in every aspect of how I lived and uh, worshiped God or an entity or became who I was, um, because she couldn't control that, she had to let that go and to have some severance there. Um, So that was, I didn't see it then. (laughs) Obviously, I didn't know all this and I didn't put all these things together, you know, being a 17 year old, but uh, thankfully now I can look back and see how all these puzzle pieces fit together and why, why that took place. Now, so I'm curious. uh, So you said your parents or you grew up in a religious household. Mm -hmm. So were your parents, parents, were your grandparents of faith as well? No, 
So do you think maybe your parents kind of went that route to sort of latch on to something? Yes. Yes, I absolutely do. Um, I think that I, I, yes, they both have addictive personalities and have Mm. abuse issues or substance abuse issues in their past. And sometimes I think in life you, you move from one addiction to the next. You stop smoking. So you start doing chewing tobacco, you go on a diet, you start exercising more. And so these things can all become very addictive person, you know, addictive things in your life. So it's, in my mind, I see it as trade trading one addiction uh, for the next. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so how did you avoid that trap? That was, or a, have you, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that's a hard question. I think that I'm still working on that. I, I think that's going to be something I work on until I die. Um, I've, uh, my addictions are, you know, for a long time I did drink very heavily. I did participate in some drug use. I did, you know, went through that whole phase. Um, I have binge eat, binged binge eaten or <laughs> binged or <laughs> I have, you know, eaten and drinking to excess. I've, um, trying to insulate myself by doing all these things to excess, but mm-hmm. not, not the Jesus aspect or not like the religious aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did a lot, I've done a lot of things in my life that in that same manner. And so it's been, it's been a road of discovery and trying to see, um, what am I still doing or what am I doing that has some of those flavors of what I grew up with mm-hmm. and trying to eliminate those. So one of the things in the past year that I've actually done is I'm really working on living a more minimalistic lifestyle, um, in my home and my finances and my, um, just in my whole way of being. Um, because I think in, with addictive personalities and, and living with that and growing up with that, there's this need to consume and to acquire and to fill your life with something and have that be your focus versus focusing inward. So once you eliminate um, that need to have all this dedicated time and effort externally, you realize, wow, I've got all this time where I can really focus on where it's important and that's myself. So when you do go inward in those moments and you're, I guess, possibly meditating, maybe having quiet conversations with yourself, what's some of the talk look like? What are some of the visions that you see? (laughs) I'll speak freely. Wow, Julie, you're really fucking up now. (laughs) I mean, honestly, (laughs) that's kind of what I think. Um, I'm a big person for lists. As you can see, I've got my little handy dandy uh, notebook and pen here. Um, A lot of times my self-talk is right before I go to bed or when I'm driving, I'm at the stoplight and I think about something and then I jot it down. Um, Self-talk, I really try for it not to be negative. Um, I I try to make those, turn those negative uh, self-conversations that I have into what can I, what can I do? What can I action upon this? You know, I spent so much of my life beating myself down. You're too, you're not, you're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not skinny enough. You're not talented enough. You're not educated enough. And I've really worked hard on changing that dialogue to be, you're going to take some classes. Hey, you are smart. And you're going to read this book this month. Or, 
um, yes, you are talented and here's the things you've accomplished. So I've really been trying to tackle that, that inner dialogue. I don't like to dry. I don't like to go back down that rabbit hole of, of negativity anymore. And for a long time I did, and it caused me to spiral and it caused me to have, um, serious, uh, serious depressive moments where woe is me and feeling negative and bad about myself. But, um, now it's more, I'm thinking, how can I action upon this? What can I do to change this? What am I going to have to eliminate so that I can move forward in this area? So I, just my whole, I know people say it a lot, they have the paradigm shift, but it truly has the way that I look at the world and the way that I look at myself has shifted. So I'm curious about that though. I think that I know I can relate to that negative self-talk. I'm probably the, you know, right there with you. Mm-hmm. Championship negative self-talk guy, right? <laughs> like I think we, that's something that everyone struggles with yeah. no matter where you are, you know, no matter what level of success you deem yourself to have or not. And I think there's this, I know that, I know that for me, there's this idea that, you know, I walk around in the world and I see people who are experiencing a problem that maybe I've experienced Mm -hmm. and I feel like, Hey, you know what, if I could just flip a switch or, you know, pop their brain open to just insert this little sentence that they could, you know, repeat to themselves and suddenly believe that at least I could solve this one little aspect of problem in their life. Right. And I think that I've tried that for a long time and you'll, you'll never solve somebody else's problem. I've, I can remember moments where I feel like if I could just shake them, truly the truth is going to rise to the top. You know, I know it's in there. Um, but it never works that way. But I think, I think the truth is like a seed or information is like a seed and you can plant it and not everybody's, um, not everybody's ready to bear fruit at that moment. Some people have got to go, <laughs> they've got to go through a couple seasons before that, um, before that thing starts to grow. And I think in my coaching, um, being able to coach strongman has really helped me to understand that aspect that you can't take away people's problems. You can't you can't make them see that they're worthy. You can't make them see that they're enough. They've got to see that and understand that for themselves. You can give them little pieces of that puzzle. Um, look at how strong you were today. Look at what you accomplished and you didn't even know that you could do this. Um, look at what, look at your body language and how it changed when you stepped up to something and said, I can do this. I'm strong enough than when you used to stand in the back of the line before flipping a tire and say, I can't do this. You know, so I, I think that I've seen that value of, I can't change somebody's mind, but I can help them see their value. That is so good. Yeah. You totally beat me to the punchline on that. Like <laughs> that is such the truth, man. Like, uh, and, and it just causes me to wonder where I was going with that was, is there a time in your life where you can remember that switch being flipped or it was something, was there anything in your life that caused you to literally make a mental and physical change or was it something that you arrived at on your own through an experience that you had? I think that it, I, I think that to be able to get, to be able to get all that good stuff in, you got to get the shit out first. And so when I go back to, uh, when I go back to that kickboxing class and that CrossFit class and talking about how I used to cry on the way home, it, it literally is a purge. You used to cry on the way home from the gym. I did. Why is that? It was because I felt like defeated and I felt like 
why did I let myself get to this place? And like, why are you even doing this? Like all, all of that crap that had been built up for so long. But every time I let myself decompress and cry, I felt like it was a purge. It was like chipping off, you know, chipping off all that crap in my heart, you know, chipping away that stone. And it was a big stone. Um, and I don't think, I don't know if there was like one particular moment, but, um, in the kickboxing class that I did have a coach and I remember one day and I had shared this with you, um, I had a coach and, uh, we're going through the maneuvers and boxing and kicking and I'm wanting to die and fall over. And he just was encouraging me and he said, you can do this. You're an athlete. You're an athlete and an athlete keeps going and an athlete keeps fighting. And I remember when I drove home, never in my life had I thought, I, I am an athlete. I, I am strong. I am capable. I am. And I feel like in that moment, I didn't fully believe, but he planted that seed. And um, years after that, as I was going into competing in strongman, I remember thinking that as I'm going up for, you know, some of my lifts, you are an athlete, you can do this, you're strong, you're capable. So it wasn't just the magic. I didn't turn, flip the light switch. And then all of a sudden, you know, all your past garbage is out the window. It was something that was built upon because somebody saw that I needed, I needed that encouragement and he knew what to say in that moment. But I think Strongman has really helped me more than anything to understand that I've got a lot of fear or I had a lot of fear in my life of um, just standing in myself and my person and um, just stepping up or just wearing shorts, wearing sleeveless shirts. I used to be terrified to do that. So when you go into Strongman, it's like nobody cares. Like you're there to do something. And every single person is there uh, to encourage you to do your best. Even though they're directly competing with you, they want to see you do your best. And so it really made me, it really helped me to realize that, hey, you know, I, I'm okay. Like nobody's judging me right here. They just want to see me do my best. Why do not, why don't I want the best for myself? So it just, you know, over the years, it's, it's changed my life. So was there a conscious process that you went through to get to where you are, or is it just something that you sort of, you know, played with on a regular basis, like, or, or just played with it when you're, you know, having those internal moments or those meditations that you were talking about before? Yeah, I think it's just something I've played with and I've built upon and really just, uh, no, I want the three-step formula. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was three steps, <laughs> then I could, you know, sell this, you know, magic uh, formula, but I don't think that there's a magic formula. I think at the end of the day, it's, it's about cutting through the crap and getting real. Um, I think we tell ourselves a lot of lies and a lot of bullshit and mm. we believe that stuff and we, the more we tell it, the more we say it, verbalize it, act it, the more we start to believe it and that becomes our mode of behavior but it's not, we got to weed that shit out. You know, you got to pull that out and say no. Totally. What are some of your most heinous lies that you told yourself over the years? Um, I think that you don't deserve. 
you're not worthy, um, you're too fat, you're, you're not smart enough. Mm, really? Yeah. Wow. See, I, I sit across from you, I see a very smart woman. Like, that's the last thing I would think that, that you would say to yourself, especially after reading uh, a lot of your writing. You write very well. You put your thoughts together very well and tell a good story. Those are all traits of someone who's extremely intelligent. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's funny. It's Again, it's a lie we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think when we tell ourselves these lies, it makes us easier because then we don't have to act on it and then we don't have to be brave and then we don't have to do the work. Oh, man. So. Preaching to me now, man. That's so true. That's so true. Like if we, uh, if we lie to ourselves, right, it's easy to lie about other people. Right. Well, I'm not worthy, but so-and-so over here is special. And because so-and-so is special, then I can never attain what special guy over there attained. Right. Right. It's an excuse to say small in a lot of cases, I think. Well, it's like we're trying to shift lanes and we're trying to make our journey their journey. Mm-hmm. So I don't care how, who's doing what and how well and what they're doing. That's not where I'm at. That's not the road I'm on. Mm-hmm. You know, I might have to scale a cliff to get on their highway. And what's that What's that going to do for me? I'm going to miss this beautiful path and scenery, you know, that was taking me to my goal because somehow I think that their vantage point is better. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that keeping up with the Joneses, grass is always greener kind of a thing. Grass is greener where you water it. <laughs> <laughs> so true, man. And I think I read something uh, that was, uh, I want, I forget what it was. Something about grass is grass is green, greener where you. Uh, remove your your dog shit from so you know it's like pick up the crap in your own yard yeah you know if you want it to be greener yeah for sure for sure so um uh i'm curious what's an interesting book you've read recently um i don't know if you know who elizabeth darsh is i don't so she is um she's a writer who has been writing for crossfit um and she i think she wrote for uh uh actually crossfit the crossfit.com or crossfit game, the website. whatever the website yeah. um i think she wrote for them for a while and then i believe she's written for barbell shrugged mm-hmm. um as well and um she wrote a book called rise and i've come back to it i read it before um, but i've come back to it recently and there's a lot of exhortations and a lot of a value in what she what she talks about um her the one thing that always sticks out to me is she's one of the one of the uh, stanzas is pick up the barbell pick up your life she's always talking about how things are going to be heavy and how they're going to be ugly and it's not always going to be the right the first time but you just need to get get in there and do the work mm-hmm. so it, that's something that I always uh, go back to um, I read The Alchemist every year so I always really? do that <laughs> yes Why I do every that in, year? I do that in January it's kind of my It's kind of my thing. Um, It's a simple book, but I think it's a good reminder um, that you're on a journey. And that's what the whole book is about, is being on that journey. And you're either in a place to learn something and you're not moving. You may not be moving because you haven't learned what you're there to learn. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you're wandering and you don't know where you're going. So it's just, it's a good reminder to me at the beginning of every year to kind of take stock into where am I going? Why am I still here? What am I striving for? Am I stuck? You know, is my goal, is my goal over here, but yet I'm walking this way. 
So, so I'm curious, how would you describe that book? What is, uh, what's your description of it? What's your biggest takeaway? I think that my biggest takeaway from that book is keep walking, keep walking. Don't sit down anywhere for too long. Keep walking and keep moving forward. That's what I always take away from that. I think in some aspects, in some aspects, I think it can be taken very allegorical. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there's some things that have significance or meanings. Um, I think uh, just the fact that the boy is a shepherd, and you know, there's simplicity there, and uh, there's um, who and what his job is and what he's looking after. And the value he places on himself versus the value he places on his sheep and things like So you can really dive into that, you know, the more that you read it. Um, it's just a simple fable mm-hmm. that it just has good principles that every time you read it, you take something else. It's not necessarily a great big lesson, but there's always something there that kind of speaks to you depending on where you're at in yeah. your journey. I, there's the part of that book and um, for those of you guys who haven't read it you should definitely read the book it's it's a really easy and quick read but there's there's some really valuable lessons in there and one of the things I took away from it is just to have faith yeah you know the part of the book where they sort of get captured by the uh, the tribesmen in the desert yep. and they promise you know a war is coming and all this stuff and they have no clue what's gonna happen and uh, you know they just take it on faith the kid is constantly taking on faith that something good is gonna work out in his favor always and yeah. I think that's uh, a lesson that a lot of us miss in this life so tell me a little bit about um, your your uh, most recent journey and foray into coaching you had mentioned that you were um, working with primarily some ladies mm-hmm. in the strongman side I am at El Jefe CrossFit mm-hmm. and I've been there for, I guess, two years now. And it was started out as just me training using their gym facility. Um, their strongman coach left about two or three weeks after I started going there. Oh, really? So the gym owner, Simone, approached me and said, hey, what do you think about doing some coaching? You know, after all you are participating and, you know, competing, so who better? So, um, she finagled me in and, uh, I was kind of nervous at first. Um, but, uh, I've been doing it for two years. So I teach like an hour long class Mondays, Wednesdays. And then on Sundays we just have typical strongman crew day, which is for about three hours. Um, but, Primarily women attend the class. I don't know if they're just drawn to another strong woman or maybe they haven't seen a woman in that role or coaching, you know, from a strength perspective. Um, We do have a couple guys um, that go, but we have a very close-knit community there. And um, it's amazing to see the transformation when they first started, you know, two years ago and then where they are now. So... Um, I have some people that are competing on a national level, and um, I've taken, I think it was 12, 11 or 12 women last year to California's Strongest Woman, so some of them competed as novice, some of them competed, you know, just open style. Um, so it's it's amazing to see a transformation in somebody else that you saw, that you saw in yourself. You see them walking down that same road where they come in, where they're shy, standoffish, I'm not strong enough, I don't think I can do this, oh, I need to get stronger before I, I do this, um, I don't know why I'm doing this, I was just told to do this, um, and just a lot of fear and doubt, and seeing them 
conquer those things one step at a time, week over week has brought me, number one, I'm a better athlete because, you know, I'm working on my coach, on my coaching is I feel like as a better coach, I am the more of a better athlete I become. Um, but seeing them go down some of these same struggles and paths that I've gone down has been, um, rewarding and sad and, um, every emotion in between. I've seen some of the ladies step outside and I say ladies just because it's primarily ladies. Um, and I think guys don't, I don't think guys experience, I don't think guys experience the whole strength thing the same way that women do. I think because we're told, you know, to be less, to take up less space, to be smaller, to don't be too strong. Don't be too, it's always don't be too much of something. Really? And yeah. Tell me, go into that a little bit. I'm curious what you, give me some, give me some examples of that. I I think, I think this is lost on a lot of people, myself included. I think that women are told, you know, um, don't be too opinionated. Mm. Don't because then you're going to come across as bitchy. Don't be too loud because then people are going to see you as being this man-like person. Don't be too strong because then you're going to be too muscular and people aren't going to want to, they're going to associate you with, you know, looking like a man or, um, don't take up too much space. Be small. Women, women are all, are always saying, we're sorry. I'm sorry for this. If, even though they haven't done something, we're the first one to step up and say, I'm sorry and take on, um, the responsibility on ourselves, even though it's not something that we've done because we feel, I think it's part of being a woman and part of who we are to be in that nurturing phase. But I think that we start to care so much about, everyone else and everyone else's needs that we continue to push ours down and down and down deeper and deeper. And it's hard to bring that to, you know, the surface and say what I need to do and what I want to do is important. Mm. So I think all that plays into all that plays into stepping up to a 200 pounds higher that they need to flip. I can't do this. I, I, you know, they've got all that fear and all that baggage and stuff weighing them down in addition to, you know, themselves and uh, just seeing them be able to do something that they think that they could, or that they didn't think that they could do, is life changing for them. And when I see it, and I just see them go through that, sometimes there's tears, sometimes there's just a whole realm of emotions. It's 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 like seeing people break down the walls that, that are have been built up inside of them for their whole life. So when you're coaching, uh, do you notice a difference in how, um, the, the various sexes approach like a challenge like that? Is there, are women less likely to challenge themselves? Is that what you're saying? Or are you saying they're less likely to believe that they can do it? I think when somebody's first starting out or especially somebody who's new in, in, in any type of training or workout, working out or, or anything, then yes, they are timid to do something. And then there's less belief that they can do it. And I think that there's less, um, myself, I was, have always been very competitive. And if somebody was stronger, I wanted to do something more and better. Um, I don't necessarily think a lot of women are like that. So this is something brand new for them. And you can kind of see that competitive personality that they maybe have suppressed uh, for a long time starts to come out. Um, we have one athlete and I won't mention her name, <laughs> but, uh, I am 
I, I feel like she's uh, suppressed her strength for a very long time, and now she's coming into the person that she is, and she has that confidence, and uh, she's now encouraging, on the flip side of that, and encouraging others to do what she wasn't able to do before. Really? So. And so what part of uh, training do you think got her over the hump? I think it was belief in us. I think it was belief in the group and belief in me and and taking the bull by the horns and just leaning into that fear and doing something and realizing, okay, I didn't I didn't injure myself. I didn't hurt myself. These people are not leading me down this dark alley to <laughs> you know to hurt me. Um but I think when you when you surround yourself with people who are encouraging who want you who want to see you do the best that you can do um who are looking out for you who can be who who can see where you're going to be or where you can uh, what you can actually achieve before you can achieve it and holding that person up I feel like that that um that kind of helps them it's almost like you know we're leading you and holding you as you do something so and in the moment you know if you're in athletics, you know, in that moment where you've got people surrounding you, cheering you, you can't help but feel that um, momentum. And I think that that helps. Totally. Yeah, there's definitely something to that. I think uh, I think emotions, you know, mm-hmm. they, they go into that. I think they're very contagious. You know, you see it in the locker room before a bunch of dudes slap each other's asses and run out on the football field, right? And we do some slapping yeah. too. I mean, there's some back slapping. There's some uh, there's some trash talking. So it's not always like it's not always lovey dovey and tears. You know, sometimes it's like somebody telling me, and it's actually pretty awesome when the people I coach tell me, "Pick it up, Julia. Stop doing this. Stop. You tell us not to do this. Pick it up. Mm-hmm. Stop being lazy. Pick it up." So there's a lot of that too. For sure. For sure. So talk to me a little bit about how you see women in general. Um, we, I know that uh, we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, the image, the image aspect of womanhood and what's, what is socially acceptable or what social expectations are. But before we even go into that, like what do you as an individual see the role of woman as and what has it expanded to in the modern era? I think the role of women is to be anything that they want to be. I think that um, if you want to be single, if you want to be married, if you want to have kids, if you don't want to have kids, if you want to be strong, if you want to be a ballerina, if you want to be a power lifter, um, women can be whatever they want to be. Um, I think that uh, I think it's important for women to and I hate to make broad sweeping statements. Um, but I think that there's a lot of things that women are endowed with, um, with our, uh, innate maternal instincts or maternal, um, need or desire to take care of others. Um, just some of the ways that we we're different than men. And I think that, um, I don't think that that's necessarily a negative thing. I think that sometimes, um, we might see it as negative or others might see, you know, uh, feministic traits as being negative, but I think that they just, it's like icing on the cake. You know, if I can lift a 500 pound uh, deadlift, you know, just like any guy or more than most guys, 
Um, but then I can still be a nurturer at the end of the day. I think it's, it's pretty awesome, um, that I can embrace, you know, both sides of who I am. Yeah. Well, you have to be careful in today's world saying that men and women are different, you know? So (sighs) what's your take on that whole conversation? That's kind of what I was getting at really. Yeah. You know, that's a rough conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do believe that we are different and we're born, you know, with different strengths and different abilities. Um, you know, just from a physical perspective, being a woman is, is different than being a man. Um, you've got testosterone flowing you through your body and you've had it for your life and I don't. So, um, my physical structure and my lungs and everything about me is going to be different. Um, I'm going to have, um, going to have different things firing and I'm going to have different ways that I look at things. And I think that even the way that I'm brought up as a woman and being told, you're going to be a mom, you're going to do this and you're going to be this kind of role, you know, it's a whole nature nurture, um, thing, but I, I absolutely believe that there's differences uh, between men and women. I think that, um, just go to any strongman competition and you're going to see these guys, I, you know, just at worlds, um, the guys finishing a run and they just go crazy, just ripping their shirts off and, you know, Wow, you know, <laughs> and so <laughs> I didn't see any of the women's doing that and maybe we wanted to, um, but there's just a definite, I, there are differences, you know, I'm not a scientist. I'm not, mm-hmm. um, a psychologist. I can't delve scientifically into why and give you, you know, here's all the explanations, but I do think it's a touchy topic, but I think that, um, a lot of times it's touchy because, we're scared to talk about how we feel about ourselves and who we are. So let's, let's focus on the differences and who we're not instead of focusing on what am I and what can I do? Mm, Why do you think that is? It's hard work. It's hard work to, it's hard work to work on yourself. It's hard work to cut through the crap and get to where you want to be. And I think sometimes, um, maybe you just want to focus, you know, just, I'm going to deflect on this issue. You know, people want to deflect and say, oh, well, if only I had this, or if only I could do this, or, you know, um, dude, this is a hard question. Hey, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this has, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, uh, tentacles in this conversation. Well, well. that's, that's one of the reasons I asked the question. I think, um, in, my experience in talking to people, and I know you and I have talked about this just briefly back and forth, um, but uh, we talked about authenticity and we mm-hmm. talked about coming from real, right? Yeah. And I think the problem is that when you do try to approach a topic that's touchy around something real, then you're immediately met with defensiveness or resistance or right. a combination thereof. And I don't understand how we're going to make progress um, across any sort of disagreement when the first response is screw you, you're an idiot, you know? Right. And so like as a man sitting across from a woman, I'm curious, I'm, I'm, I'm playing citizen scientist here. Mm -hmm. Like I'm curious, I want to get inside your head and see what your thoughts are because I know you're privy to information, especially after talking to your class, your strongman class, the women that you coach, being a woman yourself, I'm curious, you know, how your experience relates to mine or doesn't, because that informs me, you know what I mean? And I feel like the more we can kind of bridge that gap, the more that we can sort of come together and support one another rather than, like you said, mm-hmm. focusing on the differences. 
Yeah, they just, I just think that there's a lot of demands placed on women mm. these days. I think that there's so many hats that they wear. And maybe I don't understand all the hats that men have to wear. You know, maybe there's a lot of stress and, you know, you need to be a provider. You need to be a good spouse. You need to always act like you're stoic and, you know, nothing's going to bring you down and you can't cry. And um, you need to be, you need to be equally dapper yet, you know, brawny man, but not too, uh, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like there's all these different roles that you need to play. Um, we need you to be the bad boy, but you still need to be the nurturer. Mm -hmm. And so I, I I try to be cognizant of that, um, that each person is their own individual and they're going to be different, you know, based upon their life experience, based upon, um, what's happened to them on their journey, based upon where they are right now. And, who I was when I was 25 and who I am at 43, completely (laughs) different people. So, you know, we also have to give uh, people the ability to change. So I think, you know, where women start and, you know, we're kind of fed fed this fairy tale of uh, look at the toys, go down the toy aisle. What are we told? You know, girls like pink Barbie dolls, girls like pink Barbie dolls. Here's how you put makeup on, you know, here's some training makeup and, you know, start wearing, you know, Saturday night going out clothes to the club when you're, you know, eight, nine, 10, 13 years old, you know, let's, let's, let's train people to be what, um, marketing tells us that we should be. Mm -hmm. So I think we fall into that trap and we believe that crap. You know, if we, if all we're doing is filling our head with what's on TV and, um, what television shows and what uninformed people tell us is, what it means to be a woman or what it means to be a man, we're never going to achieve that because that's not reality. Mm -hmm. I actually like that answer a lot because I don't think there is an answer. Yeah. And I've talked to so many men and women who want to say, well, this is what a woman is, or this is what a man is. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, there's some, there's some science that points to differences between men and women on the, uh, you know, on the fringes. But the reality of it is, is everyone is a dichotomy, you know? Everyone has masculine and feminine traits, right? You know, everyone runs the gamut of emotions, but how do those things manifest themselves? And it's interesting when it comes to the barbell, because coming back to your point earlier, I know when I'm coaching, um, females versus coaching males, I've seen women doubt themselves more often, whereas men tend to run up to the barbell and think they can do more than they can (laughs) and not even think twice about it. And I, it's funny that you say that. It, it makes me think, yes, they do doubt themselves, but they also take direction a lot. Yes. A lot more. They listen when you do give them. So I think that there's there's less ego, even though that less lesser ego may not be a positive thing. So, you know, we're Back all in just... Back the dichotomy, man. Right. You know, we're <laughs> all just struggling to be the best version of ourselves. So I just don't... There's just... There's a, there's not a bad answer there. Exactly. So. And let's hope there never is, right? Yeah. Man, that's cool. So uh, you uh, you did really well at this last competition, right? Coming I in did. Uh, <laughs> top of the pack. I did. So um, tell me a little bit about how Strongman works. Um, I'm not really familiar with how they do their invitations, how they mm-hmm. do their rankings, how they do their competitions. I know um, uh, Porter used to tell me a little bit about it, and it seemed a little bit convoluted. I never really got it. But what did this win actually uh, open up for you? Because I think uh, you told me it opened up some some new doors. Yeah, so there are um, really 
two federations in Strongman. So you have Strongman Corporation. And so Strongman Corporation has sanctioned, sanctioned shows. Uh, we call them shows or con- contests um, around the U.S. And um, the weights that you do at those shows are always going to be a certain percentage of what would be done at a national level. So depending on the type of show it is, either the first, the first and second or the first, second, and third um, place individuals in a weight category um, we'll go. We'll get an invite to go to nationals, so that happens for both Strongman Corporation and then also um, for USS Strongman. So um, Dion Masters and Willie Wessels run those two corporations. Um, so I've competed in both, um, gone to nationals for as long as I've been competing um, with Strongman Corp. USS Nationals is, uh, I believe, a lot more people up north um, compete because it's there. It's usually regionally based, and so a lot more competitions happen um, back east or up north. So now, are those two are those two uh, corporations are they co- uh, actively cooperating with one another to put on shows, or is it totally separate? Um, I think it's totally separate. Um, the the woman and the man who run both used to be married to each other, and so now they're married to different people. It's one of those things. So um, I think that they've taken the best of what they've learned, and you know, they've developed their own thing. Um, so they're both they both have different styles of show, um, but you're still doing all the same things, whether it's you know yoke carry, farmers, deadlifts, whatever it is. You're, it's all the same movements uh, that you're going to be doing. Um, so this here, Train Strongman, um, and Lynn Morehouse is who puts on, uh, the Worlds, and that's in Raleigh. Um, this is the second year running. So this is truly a Worlds, um, event, and I believe we had people from 25 or 26, and don't quote me on that, but somewhere around mm-hmm. there, uh, different countries, um, come to this uh, to compete. So these are individuals who have won or who have proven themselves to be at a world level um, to compete. And uh, when you see these people compete, you realize that you you better be in that level (laughs) or you're going to have to up up your game. Um, So yeah, it was a lot of fun and it was just a great experience. Uh, uh, I have to just give a shout out for Lynn and his wife and the entire crew that they had there. I think that um, the crews of people that they had working lift more weight than all of us did the entire weekend. Um, so I don't know how they survived to go back to work when it was all over. <laughs> um, but yeah, this does open up some opportunities. It has opened up some opportunities. Uh, you invited me to do a podcast. Yeah, for I sure. Had some other people ask me, why are you so old and doing this? So it's opened up a lot of conversations. And then I know that there's going to be some other opportunities for uh, competitions in the future. And I will be doing um, competing in um, Arnold mm-hmm. at the end of February, beginning of March. So that's kind of my last event of the season. Um, and then it's deciding what I'm going to do after that. Arnold's kind of a big deal. Are you excited about that? I am excited about that. I, uh, I, well, now you had to qualify for this, right? I did have to qualify and, for that right. and I did. And so I have been invited before, but it wasn't, it was because, you know, so-and-so couldn't go and so-and-so couldn't go. So let's go down the line. So, um, I mean, that's always a good thing to get is to be on that list. But, um, I really didn't want to go unless I did this on my own accord. Mm-hmm. And so by winning Masters Nationals, I did get the invite to go. So, 
it's, it'll be interesting. It's uh, heavyweight and some super strong girls, um, girls I've competed with many times. So it's it's awesome to see them and hug their necks, um, but it's uh, it's time to work when we get there. We'll <laughs> hug sure. necks after. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So where are you in your training cycle right now? Are you building for that event? I'm building already? for that event, yeah. So yeah. this is my first week. Um, I took a week. I usually take a week off after a big event, and mm-hmm. then it's just heads down back to work. So what does uh, training look like for you? What does nutrition look like for you going into a competition like this? I mean, obviously you're a couple months out, but mm-hmm. what are you, what's your planning look like for that? So I usually train four days a week. Um, so three days is you know just standard deadlift, squat, um, not so much bench, um, but just standard strength and conditioning. Um, and then on Sundays we have, you know, our Sunday strongman crew is what we call it. Um, but we call that the events day. So that's really where you're going through, uh, two to three different movements, um, that you're going to be doing in an upcoming competition. So you're going to be running with sandbags, arm over arm, pulling sleds. You're going to be carrying yokes. You're going to, all the things that you're going to do in an event you're going to be doing. And so it's a three year three or four hour training session, just depending on how much rest time you need. So when you do something for 60 seconds and if it's a max effort, you do need recovery time between that. So it does take some time, um, to go through, through these event training days. What are your uh, favorite events in the strongman circuit? I'd have to say, um, it's funny because it's actually changed. I used to hate carries. I used to hate running with sandbags, but now I'm beginning to like it, which is really strange for me to say, embrace what you hate, I guess. Um, I'm really statically strong and I've always been that way. So of course, deadlift, anything with deadlift, axle deadlift, straight bar deadlift, Demille deadlift, all those things are my jam. Love Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Um, I do like the yoke carry. So, um, I'm pretty strong in that. So I've done 760. Wow. (laughs) That's fantastic. So, uh, is the strongman yoke, is it always carried on the shoulder or do you guys sometimes press overhead on the yoke? Um, with training, we, so we do carries overhead with the yoke just for midline stability and, Mm. uh, you know, conditioning. Um, but we never carry it overhead in a competition. We will do like a zercher carry. I've seen that in some competitions, where you're carrying it in front of you. If some, if there's not access to a Conan's wheel, then you can do a Zercher carry, which if you were to ask me what my least favorite thing in Strongman, it would be a Conan's wheel. So it does not, it favors people who are taller, Mm -hmm. have longer arms. Um, so I'm shorter, have shorter arms. (laughs) I hate all my, uh, my friends that are long and lanky because, uh, they just blow through that thing and I'm doing the truffle shuffle. Mm, so. I hear you. So in the CrossFit world, it's, uh, you know, the, the conversation is always, well, so-and-so's, you know, five, eight, so they should go faster than the, the <laughs> six, two guy in the strongman world. Is it reversed? You know, I think that, uh, I think the great thing about, uh, Lynn's last show for worlds is that I think that there was a great balance in, um, understanding that, the strengths and weaknesses of strongman. So, uh, for example, we had a, a yoke run mm-hmm. where we ran it down 60 feet and then we had to run back and grab a sandbag and then take the sandbag and put it over the yoke that we just carried. So if you're a taller person, longer legs, um, 
you may have gotten faster on the yoke run. Whereas when you get down to the sandbag, you're having to pick it up higher. It's going to take you a little bit longer to get it up on your chest mm-hmm. and get it over um, the bar. So um, if you're taller, you're going to do better at stones um, than if you're shorter. So I, I think a good show always is a mix of what somebody's strengths and weaknesses are going to be. You're not going to just have a show where it's going to cater to taller people or shorter people. Right. So you should just be – you. But as a, uh, a high-level athlete, I think that just being consistent across the board, you're not, you don't have to come in first place in every single event. If you're consistent, then that's always going to get you the win. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the things that you find uh, in the strongman world are, I guess you'd say, um, as, a, as a, a population of athletes, what is it the thing that comes up as most challenging for people as a whole? As like an event or as yeah as like an event like a movement specific movement circus dumbbell seems to be a challenge really um, that's a lot of strength and it depends on the weight of the dumbbell um, I think we had a lot of zeros at nationals because of the weight of that and I think it was 115 pounds for heavyweight women mm. so that's a lot of weight to put up you know single arm single arm yeah where you know the top girls just pounded it out really like it was nothing so uh um, Tiffany Drake, for example, she just, <laughs> she's a monster. like she's a monster, couldn't be stopped. Um, so yeah, I think that they struggle with that. Um, I think a lot of overhead stuff for women, because we're not as naturally going back to the men versus women thing. Um, we're just not naturally as strong, mm-hmm. um, overhead. And so it takes a lot of work. Time, strength takes time. So it takes a lot of work to get to that point where you feel comfortable in doing the movements and then you're strong enough um, to be able to do the movement, whether that's log, whether that's axle clean and press, whether that's a circus dumbbell. So what are the things that you're going to be working on going into the Arnold? Um, I am the, the thing that I am working on the most is going to be my log. So it's a log clean and press away for reps. So it's 215 pounds. So I'm essentially cleaning the log and then pressing it as many times as I can in 60 seconds with 215 pounds. So it's not like Olympic lifting where you <laughs> lift it once and then good lift <laughs> and then let it go. I just have to keep repeatedly doing it. So, um, I've always struggled with my overhead. Overhead has always been my, uh, my weakness, but I'm, uh, seeing the benefits of some good training going into it and mindset. I can do this. Mm-hmm. I can do this. Um, I am capable of doing this. So, so when you're training the log, I, I, the log is interesting because to me, the grip is weird, Yep. you know, because you've got that, uh, that sort of parallel grip, you know? Um, so when you're training log, are you only, uh, training using that implement or are you using other types of implements? To build no, I still strength? use, I still use a typical Olympic bar, do yeah. a lot of, uh, Olympic lifting as well. Um, clean and jerk, um, jerk pressing, strict pressing, Z pressing, mm-hmm. um, all of those things. So all of those things do carry over. Um, and then of course you never know what log you're going to have at a competition. Um, we are pro in Arnold. I'm sure we're going to have like the Bartos logs. Mm-hmm. Um, logs can be 10 inches in diameter, 12 inches diameter. It could be a wood log, like a Slater log. So, um, if you've got the strength and the technique, you should be able to do no matter what they put in front of you. Really? So you've yeah, got to be prepared sure. for that. Definitely. So you had, you had mentioned that you, uh, 
when you started this journey, uh, you've come a long way and things sort of spun for you in a real positive direction when you started working with a coach. So what is it that your coach brought to the table um, that, uh, that you weren't employing before? Um, I had initially started with, uh, with Keegan Dillon and he was uh, programming for um, CrossFit. So it was very much a CrossFit style of, of training. And um, after working with him for a year, yes, I did gain strength. Um, but we came to the point where we had the conversation of, right, you're going to have to go to somebody who knows more about strongman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I did. And I went to Mike Westerling. And um, I think that it brought about a change of pace and realizing that strength takes time and strength takes, takes rest. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about going hard every day and you're not one rep maxing every day and you're not putting up maximal weight every day. It's understanding that your body needs rest and recovery um, and consistency uh, to gain that strength that you need. A hundred percent. So yeah, I mean, that's uh, <laughs> flies in the face of everything CrossFit, right? Getting yeah. a CrossFitter to rest. It's like one of the most what difficult things. Yeah. In the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I, I have a hard time. So working out in a CrossFit gym, sometimes it's, it's really hard and it's, it's painful to see people doing 50 and a hundred reps of something when what I'm doing, um, is completely different, but I have different goals than they do. Right. hundred so. percent. Yeah. Well, sometimes I've, I've noticed a lot of times with just the average CrossFitter, there are no goals. It's just, I come in and I do what they put in front of me. Yeah, and I, I, I have to say that I think that that's something that is lacking in CrossFit is we really need to help people understand that, yeah, it's great. You can come in and somebody can tell you what to do, but, I mean, it's a whole scenario. Give a man a fish, right? right. Help educate them on what proper nutrition is, what is what is rest, you know? Is it really good for you to come in and train six days a week um, and then do a hero wad mm-hmm. at the end of every week? Probably not. Probably not. So. Definitely not. <laughs> I think it's good to educate um, in that regard. So. Yeah, I find I think, uh, you know, I think one of the goals of a great coach should be to have an athlete come to a gym and know what they needed to do without looking at pre-programmed workouts for their particular goal, right? And I find that that's one of the things that's missing from a lot of the training, especially in the fitness world is unless someone's being told what to do, they would have no clue where to go. And it's like, hey, do you want to have more endurance? Do you want to have, you know, more CP battery? You know, what is it that you want to train today? Strength? Okay, well, then this is how your workout should look, you know? I think a lot of people, they go to the gym because they want to lose weight Mm -hmm. or they go to the gym or CrossFit for aesthetic purposes. Mm -hmm. And then maybe maybe that goal changes, but they don't know any different. So all their goal is based upon, I want to fit in these clothes. I've got a wedding coming up. Hey, summer's coming. And so, and I hear it that, you know, that's what I'm training for. Or that's, I think that there's a mind shift when you talk about I'm working out versus I'm training. And that's where that, you've got a goal if you're training. If you're just working out, you're just going through the motions. Right. At least that's my opinion. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, it's kind of like social. I mean, it's good, right? Yeah, and it's you're absolutely moving. good. There's you're nothing not wrong home. with it at right. all. Yeah. yeah. But it's more social hour. It's more, you know, I want to go see my friends and that sort of thing rather than I'm here for a, you know, specific right. purpose right. kind of a thing. And I, I had a conversation with somebody at El Jefe and she recently said, you know, I, I realized that it's time for me to up my game and I need to, I, I need to stop 
limiting myself and what I'm doing and I really need to get strong. You know, she, you could tell that she just had this total shift in understanding where she was and that she wanted to go somewhere besides just staying here, being in that comfortable state. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's what happens is you get, you get in this comfortable mindset, whether it's CrossFit or you're going to, you know, 24 hour fitness or EOS or wherever you're going, you just get in this comfortable place where going through the motions, doing my five by three and doing whatever it is that you're doing. Um, but you don't really push yourself because it's okay to just, you know, swim around in this place. And I mean, right or wrong, maybe there's other goals in your life, but, um, I think that challenging yourself and pushing yourself inside the gym has effects that, you know, roll out into outside of the gym. Cause I mean, isn't that the goal that better in the gym, stronger in the gym, it's going to roll over into your life, better in life, stronger in life. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, and that, that begs a question, you know, I mean, um, you know, in your experience, you know, where have you seen the gym kind of bolster your out of the gym performance or your out of the gym life? Where does that show up for you? Where have you seen it? Um, I think it's, uh, (laughs) I think it's just made me unafraid and made me not fearful to try new things and to do new things and just not really concern myself with how I look or how I, you know, just all that aesthetic stuff. Let's Mm. let's just dive in and do it. You know, (laughs) I've moved around a lot. I've, you know, picked up and moved States and moved here, switched a job. And, you know, there was, I don't think that I could have done that if I didn't have something in my life that showed me that I can, you know, tackle an obstacle in front of me and not be fearful. Definitely takes courage to do that. I mean, Christina, my wife is experiencing that now, you know, um, you know, coming from Canada and not knowing really anyone here and building a new social network, it does take a lot of courage. And, um, you it's know, it's a hard thing. It is a hard thing. I think people underestimate it sometimes. It's hard. I mean, what is yeah. that? They've got the list of the top 10 most stressful things, <laughs> moving, <laughs> changing jobs, yeah. getting married. All. Yeah, She's just she checking down the list. Or She's I like, just, let me just go and check them all this. at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to exactly. dive in and get it over with. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, one of the things that you mentioned a few times is, uh, you mentioned fear a mm-hmm. few times and, and overcoming fear. And then in the, your last uh, statement, you were talking about not caring about image and what, you know, what other people thought you should look like and this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. What is your whole take on this whole body positivity thing? Like, how do you describe you? How do you fit into that? What's your opinion on it? Mm-hmm. Uh, another good question here. Um, I think, <laughs> I think it's important to be body positive and, um, and I've shared with you that I, a friend Heather McDonald and she has a great tattoo and we've talked about in depth and taking up space and I've mentioned this in taking up space and owning who you are as a person and um, I think it's important for me and myself to have a positive view of myself whether or not my body is in a wheelchair mm-hmm. whether I'm laid up in a hospital bed whether I'm running marathons I think that's important to me to feel that, that I'm enough, that um, I'm good enough no matter what. Um, I don't think that, I don't think it's important. I think the body positivity movement a lot of times wants to force other people to accept me. Um, But I'm not seeking other people's acceptance and I don't, you know, whether I accept you or not, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to me? 
Um, I think that there's, you can treat people with dignity and respect and as a human, um, but I don't necessarily have to, you know, I don't have to support the fact that you're, you know, chowing down on three gallons of ice cream and <laughs> and five pizzas in a night. Right. So, you know, I, I, I honestly, um, I'll just speak very freely. I do struggle with that. I do struggle with um, people who are not physically active and want you to accept them in a state that's less than they're capable of being. Um, that's kind of hard for me. Yeah, I, dude, I'm right there with you. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I feel like it's being used as a crutch for those yeah. type of people. I mean, you know what? Listen, if you're uh, only capable of, you know, sitting in a chair, maybe mm-hmm. you're a paraplegic and you're capable of sitting in a chair and your body, you know, can't perform at a certain level. Hey, cool. You do what you can. You know, if you're able bodied and you're sitting on the couch and you're, like you said, pounding the ice cream and the pizzas and you want me to say that's positive. Well, no, that's not positive. That's not going to get you anywhere but into an early grave. So I feel like there's some nuance there that completely gets lost on a lot of people. You know, and I think it's a hard thing to talk about because I, like you said, it is nuanced. And I think that if you disagree with that and say, um, I'm not for body positivity, I'm not saying don't be positive or a positive person. Mm -hmm. But I also think that... um, you need to expect more of yourself. You need to expect more of your others. And I think when you surround yourself and I've talked to you about following David Goggins and he's recently been talking a lot about, um, being the king of mediocrity. And so I think when you surround yourself with people who say, Hey, it's okay. It's all right. You can do that. You can still feel good. Everything is gravy here. You know, (laughs) um, what is the song? You're king of the losers, right? I mean, I hate to say that, but it's true. You know, you need Mm -hmm. to step up your game. You want to be better. You got to surround yourself with better people. Um, you want to have a positive body image, do things that make you feel positive about your body. Right. Don't, it's not for me. Mm -hmm. It's not, you're not doing things for me. You're doing it for yourself. And Mm -hmm. when you force somebody else to accept something that has, you can't force somebody to accept something that uh, they don't agree with. Right. You can only force them to be quiet. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and a lot of times that what ha- well, that's what happens when you scream a message so much, mm-hmm. people shut down and be quiet and then the conversation stops and then you right. can't explore those nuances of what bos- body positivity truly means. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I've always had this issue with, um, with people who want to, who say they want to create something, <clears throat> excuse me, Uh, I'm the type of person where if I say I want to create something and I give you permission, I say, okay, listen, this is what I'm choosing into. You know, I'm making it public. If you see me deviate from this path, feel free to smack me in the face. Mm -hmm. Let me know what's going on. I feel like the body positivity as it has been presented to me is more along the lines of what you said, which was, hey, it's okay if you want to sit on the couch and be king of the shitheads. But, um, you know, if I really care about you, I'm going to tell you, Hey, that's probably not good for you. But then again, if I don't know what you want to create, maybe you want to be the best couch potato in the world. Mm -hmm. Then who am I to say anything? Right. It's one of those things like, where do I draw the line? I care for you and your health. Right. But by the same time, you don't want me barking up your tree every five minutes telling you to get off the couch. Right. So, and I think that there's value to that is if you've put something out there and you're asking others to hold you accountable to a goal or a purpose or something that you've put out there, then that's awesome. And I always feel like with my friends that 
maybe sometimes they don't want to hear what I have to say, but I will always give them my opinion once. And it's up to them to take that and do with it what Mm -hmm. they will. The choice is up to them. And, you know, we talked about like planting the seed earlier. Sometimes it's just about planting that seed and having that conversation. Um, And maybe they'll act on it later. Um, But, you know, a lot of people can look at me and think, uh, well, she's not an athlete. She's overweight. And why isn't she thin? And why isn't she um, toned? Or I hate that word, toned. toned. (laughs) What does that even mean? It's like a two-tone car. (laughs) What does that mean? She's toned. I'm not toned. She's so toned. (laughs) You know, my where I'm at in my life and my goals is is what matters to me. And not everybody's Mm going to understand that. And maybe I don't understand some of the goals for people in the body positivity movement. And, and I know people, I'm, I know that they're going to hear this and they're on my Facebook page and maybe they'll educate me on, on more of this so that I have a better understanding. Um, that was very diplomatic, by the way. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sometimes I have to be nice. Uh, I'm not always sometimes, nice. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> so my mouth gets nice. me in problem, in, into trouble more often than I'd like to admit. <laughs> I'm like, I, I tell people often that I'm the... Uh, I, I'm, I'm the nicest asshole you'll ever meet. Right. Right. <laughs> you're only an ass. You're being an asshole for their benefit. Right. For right? their benefit. I only want the best for you. That's it. <laughs> I only want the best for me. Oh, that's awesome. Cool. So, uh, before I ask my last question, uh, tell these folks where they can, uh, get on you online and, and follow along. Yep. I can be found on Facebook. So just look me up, Julia Smay, S-M-A-Y, just like it sounds, just like it's spelled, Smay. Um, I am on Instagram, Smayzy, S-M-A-Y-Z-E-E, 25. They can find me there and uh, just Google me. <laughs> I no no smazing? No, no smazing anywhere? A smazing uh, anywhere? That, no, that was actually, that's actually taken by somebody else. Oh, man. That so sucks. somebody wore a, a T-shirt to my first comp that said a, a smazing. So it was that kind of stuck. So I just took the smazy part of it. And uh, that's my Instagram handle now. I like it. I like it. So what's the legacy you want to leave behind in the wake of your life? Hmm. You know, I've been, it's funny that you asked this question. I wish you would have asked me this, you know, beforehand so I could have like a pat answer. Well, what I want is, um, <laughs> I want people to say, she had an, she had an awesome life and she didn't care. She didn't care what anybody else she lived. She lived her best life. And I hope that, I hope that other people's lives were changed because of mine. I hope that they look at me and, and think shit, she could do it. I can do it. I could try it. I hope that they see that. Um, I hope that they see that I lived a life without fear and that they could do it too. So that's fucking beautiful, man. So thank you so much for that. You're gonna make me cry. <laughs> that was my job. <laughs> Damn you. <laughs> that was my job. I got a little watery eye. Yeah, what's up? Yeah. Uh-huh. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Guys, <clears throat> if you don't know Julia, if you haven't jumped on the, the old Facebooks, give her a follow. Listen to what she's saying. She's preaching some truth. She's telling you guys like it is, and you definitely want to consume all of her information. Thanks for tuning in today, and we will see you in the next episode of Hardwater Radio. Until then, on behalf of Julius May, this is Jason Archer signing off. We'll see you next time. Thank you. <laughs>